0: me I'm a mess I couldn't get the car to start I left my key somewhere in the mess It comes and goes in plateaus one month later My parents would be proud, or oh, fall asleep on the floor, forget what happened in the morning. There are notes in your handwriting, but you can't make it
1: we out. Welcome to the Savage Beast Podcast. Joe Gallagher, and with me tonight and always is Paul McLeod.
0: hi, everybody how you doing uh, uh
1: they are well because they just listened to that song by Car seat Headrest uh that is quite good um, yeah i that song is so good. I'm forgiving them for having like the worst band <laughs> ever by I, I just just bad
0: yeah, so apparently um the dude used to practice in his uh, parents car or something so i didn't see that that was explicitly why he named the band that way but i'm guessing that has to do with it so
1: is this a is this a one dude band or is it just his is his project
0: uh it's his project for sure i don't i don't know if like you know so, some rotating cast of dudes played drums and bass for him
1: yeah these days it's uh, the the line is blurrier yeah um you just there's a lot of bands that have a touring band and that it's one guy and then then the touring band becomes a band tame impala cloud nothings
0: it reflects the uh the atomization of our culture and the uh yeah the way we all are just reaching out but we can't make permanent connections in this millennial generation man
1: yeah it's true well it's hard we're all living in our childhood bedrooms Mm -hmm. uh Masturbating making. to porn. Yeah. <laughs> uh right. Um to distract ourselves from our uh uh crushing debt load.
0: Mm-hmm. Um anyway, the music is good. So is I'm good. all for it.
1: Um I see in this song I you know, I see a bit of a resurgence of uh pavement and yeah. like early two thousands lo fi. I I and I like it.
0: Yeah, definitely some pavement and uh uh what was the other I, there was something else that I had in mind but it's gone now and I'm not going to sit here and say uh until I think of it. But um uh You'll yeah. You'll
1: tweet it. You'll tweet it at Savage Beast Pod.
0: Sure. Yes. Um the we already tweeted the album once, but it's good enough I think that it deserves another tweet if we come up with something good. Um,
1: um hey, can I stop? can I um I, I got to stop and thank everyone uh for listening to our podcast uh, our pa- our last two episodes both have over 150 downloads oh yeah uh, which is really badass thank you bill um, simmons
0: we're coming for you
1: yeah that's right um I, I have i have no pun There's some joke about the ringer i could make but i can't i just i don't know
0: <laughs> anyway it is cool the audience is yeah. um not just our friends anymore so i right. i appreciate it um, yeah, all the people who aren't our friends are like, what? Oh, I thought this was a real podcast. I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> um, um, you're
1: in on the ground floor and you'll pay great dividends uh, uh-huh. later. When we, in cult- when you have
0: our first edition limited print t-shirt
1: <laughs> in cultural capital. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, yes. So, so, um, I should say that, uh, segues nicely that we want to talk in about some, uh, new music uh, that's mm-hmm. come out since our best of 2016 so far episode uh and you can follow uh our spotify playlist which is uh, savage beast best of 2016 uh, where you can hear a lot of these tracks and even more that we have identified
0: yeah we try to put like one track from every album we really love on there or maybe some standalone tracks that are really good right. um but uh yeah so check it out so what else, uh, I guess
1: let's play, uh, a little bit from a, uh, album by Modern Baseball, uh, called Holy, uh, the album's called Holy Ghost. And let's play, uh, a bit of this, the second track on that album, Wedding Singer. tonight in a curiously well-kept house built before i was born this year we're gonna stamp out the sorry feeling Rain on summer vacation five blocks from castor morris station fuck the ride home if i can't find two bills to rub together before midnight rolls around i thought you heard me sing your spirit sound you turned in early Okay, that was um, modern baseball with Wedding Singer. Uh, we're not good with genres here on Savage Peace, <laughs> but I'm going to call that pop punk. Is that what? Yeah. That, that's what that is,
0: right? It um, definitely is in the. It, it takes from those '90s pop punk type bands. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, what's that one you really love that um, has American in the name? Uh, American in the name.
1: Wow, I think the you band. B- <laughs> well, it re- you thinking? I mean, it reminds me of Saves the Day, and, yeah, uh, and even more precisely the Thermals. Uh, yeah. Two bands that have put out uh, at least albums that I hold uh, very dear uh, to my heart, uh, and and there's sort of um, it's a fast emo. <laughs> it's like fast zombies, fast emo. <laughs> um they're coming at you with their sadness and it's very hard to avoid um (laughs) you gotta really be prepared if you don't want to start having feelings you need hatchets yeah Uh, (laughs) um oh do you mean wait you can't mean american analog set right yeah which is a band that i don't
0: actually oh well
1: yeah it's a different band
0: (laughs) i don't actually know what that band sounds like so (laughs) That's I've listened to them, and, and I don't really remember man. it. <laughs> man, um, yes, yeah, so we listened to them on our
1: Lost podcast
0: episode, which someday will be. That's doing. right. Now I remember it yeah. all. It's all coming back. Um,
1: anyway, this album is great uh, if you uh, like that um, speedy sing along. Uh, qua- uh, I don't yes. know, pseudo. You know, it's it's fake.
0: No sing along was the thing that came into my mind and was why I was like "Joe will love this."
1: Yes. It's it's fake aggressive but like in a, in a way that they understand that and I don't know that's a formula that works for me.
0: Yeah. It's not so much aggressive as uh just um uh yeah, it pumps you up.
1: Right. Um did you have another new song you want to play, Paul?
0: Um I will, won't play a song but uh well, yeah, let's play a song. Sure. Okay. We're going to play something by uh, Hooded Fang from their album um, that has Venus in the title. I'm, this is going to be the running joke of the show. So I just can't <laughs> remember the fucking name of it. anything. Um, so, yeah, in a moment. I oh, my eyes. I heard them, them cry. My fingers vanished Right through the glass Sentence overloaded so
1: by gray and old Still wanting you Because i one with you My body's loudness Brain in your grasp Although my memories Are blowing to your past It's a The more you Bodies under the ground. We are Uh unity. Now.
0: that was weirder than i thought it would be um uh <laughs> this is why you should <laughs> yeah 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 it's a weird album um very off kilter like that and uh sort of jabby with the guitars and uh uh as as we've established that's the kind of thing i go for is a uh, weird um disconcerting type of rock music like that there are other parts that definitely have more of a groove to them than that mm-hmm. bit yeah um but uh yeah hooded fang uh venus on edge which is uh on edge is definitely uh the feeling you get from it and uh also the album cover i think is super sweet so everybody should check that out nice nice retro vibe to that one
1: yeah Uh, it just felt like i was a garage in the 60s like the late 60s early (laughs) 70s someone had listened to a lot of velvet underground and Dropped some Orange Crush, and they
0: were, yeah. they were on. You know, they were doing what they felt like. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Um, um, and that's actually the closing track. It's a, uh, it's a good album. Anyway, um, so we got one more new one. Yeah, uh, let's
1: just came out today. Uh, it our favorite Norwegian, our favorite Norwegian, Jenny Haval. uh She announced she has a new album coming out called blood bitch and this track
0: an awesome album name
1: yes especially because the first single from it is called female vampire (laughs) which just yes um so let's listen to this one and then i want to say why i like jenny of all so much all right A female Vampire by Jenny Eval, um, who which I like, to, I like to say in a sultry voice.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe like sultry uh, Will-o'-the-Wisp or something like that. We go, there we
1: go. Um, so I like Jenny Eval for a variety of reasons. I, number one, she's great. But I think she's great mm-hmm. because she uses what is... Um, what are the prevailing trends in uh, indie electronic synth pop? And she uses them to play music that's distinctly unpop, um, mm-hmm. you know. And there's there's so much music that sounds like this. Um, and I'm gonna pick on them like Sylvan Esso comes to mind. That you mm-hmm. really don't need to pay attention to, um, mm-hmm. and. Jenny Valls the opposite, like you yeah. need to listen to the lyrics, you need to pay attention to the small changes to really get what she's doing, and I appreciate that because I love a lot of the sounds that those kinds of artists use, I mean that's why I, I still like Sylvan Esso, uh, they sound really good, but I want them to do something more uh, complex uh, and something that rewards repeated listens. You uh,
0: you just nailed it with that comparison because yeah. Sylvanesso to me is like background music that I didn't need to listen to more than once. Right. And uh uh this is uh she's awesome, uh Ginny Definitely both uh, artistic and uh uh political in a way that's like interesting uh with respect to current issues, you know? Yeah. Um, there's definitely some I don't know sex power stuff going on there innocence is kinky yeah and and
1: just I have to say this again but her song the battle is over uh which I I want to say it came out last year or maybe the very end of 2014 is just it's just one of the best Uh, it's such a good song no it came in 2015 um from her album um apocalypse girl and if you haven't listened to that album
0: it's a great album
1: go back it's worth it it's worth your time Um, So, uh, all these songs can be found uh, on our uh, Savage Beast Best of 2016 playlist on Spotify, which is linked right from savagebeastpod.com, right on the front page.
0: So, hit that shit, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So, uh, what did we want to talk about next, Joe? We could check in. Yeah. Go oh ahead.
1: yeah. Oh oh. We want to check. We want to check in we, since we are now um, one of the internet's many unofficial Radiohead podcasts. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to check in on a moon pool. How's it working for you?
0: It is. Uh, so last time I expressed uh, tentative praise, and now I want to expand that into full throated praise yes. for um, really one of the most. Uh, This is a a loaded word to use that has negative connotations I don't mean, but sort of one of the most mature rock albums uh, I think that's ever been made. Um, Confident. Yes. It's, uh, I think they've, you know, ever since... okay computer to some extent and really starting with kid a you know they've had this they've been at war with themselves uh trying to figure out um how much they want to be a pop and rock band and how much they want to be a weird avant-garde band and they've been trying to figure out you know how to balance uh, that's one dichotomy they've been uh, dealing with and then another is sort of Um, melody versus um, sort of uh, modern classical dissonance Mm -hmm. type of elements. And, uh, you know, to some extent, they sort of, um, they reached a really good uh, synthesis between the two on In Rainbows. But on this one, uh, I think they found a way to be really weird and also really beautiful at the same time in a way that even most modern classical music doesn't find a good compromise with, you know, um, uh, it, to me, it's almost more of a modern classical album that just, uh, isn't afraid to also be gorgeous in places and really throughout, but, uh, uh, really finding a way to marry both the, um, the beauty of, uh, the beauty of a really nice melodic composition with the discordant, uh, you know, harmonies that are, uh, that have been dominating that sort of music for the past century and uh the result is just uh stunningly emotional and um powerful
1: yeah that is a um just completely accurate review uh <laughs> I, i've been doing something with this album that i haven't done with an album a long time uh where i even though I'm listening to it as an album, then I'll get obsessed with tracks and I feel as I'm slowly Mm -hmm. like want to pay attention to one track for a while and then like kind of go on to the next one. And so like, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm just a few uh, only like, you know, halfway through doing that for the album. Um, so, you know, and there's just so much to, I just feel like I can't even take the whole thing in uh yeah. until I um unless I really study some some of it individually
0: um uh, Well it shifts so much. I mean, even more than their past music. The the songs just sort of like drift from point to point and they're running themes throughout them, but there's they don't really run through the same exact uh variation on those ideas more than once in most cases
1: and it does have that quality that most of my favorite albums have where you uh you don't even know why it's so good but you uh, (laughs) like i'm like at first like i'm Mm -hmm. like i know that this is a great album and I love it. And I, I can't, it's going to take me a while to explain why.
0: Yeah. And that's what was holding me back at the first time yeah, we talked about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's great. And uh, obviously if you haven't, if you haven't had the chance to listen to it, or if you kind of only have listened to it once, you know, I, there's a lot of you I'm sure who like us have yeah, really, d- uh, gotten into it. But if you haven't yet, um, it's it definitely
0: rewards repeat listens very strongly. Totally. Totally. Uh, um, also I I think uh I don't know if I can ever not listen to it in my backyard on headphones at night because I've got <laughs> these sweet trees that are still bare of leaves and the moon has been bright lately nice. and it's uh just a perfect mise en scene for the for the uh, soundtrack.
1: Well, I was listening to it uh, like as uh on my headphones as by uh uh as a, the plane I was on took off. Ah that was, that was good. That's a solid <laughs> time. To listen to some beautiful Radiohead music. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Yes. Uh, so today's topic, I feel like we're going to meander through a few variations on today's topic, um, which is how rock bands, I should say, I should say all, almost all musicians, all artists, were formally organized as such whether it's an individual or a band progress through their careers and i guess the main question is whether their um later albums uh which typically seemingly decline in quality <laughs> affect or, their or particularly when they don't aqua- right when they aren't as good right when when like how do their albums that aren't as good affect The legacy of their best albums and their best work. Yeah, Um, which is uh, an interesting question because you know it does. We're we're all human and we are affected. If you're, if some band releases an album that you love, releases an album that you think is the worst piece of shit you've ever heard, uh, you're just not going to be able to completely separate that from, uh, you know, the best stuff by them. Maybe. 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 You might question. have to work on it. So it's, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. But I think let's start uh, by we're going to kind of ease into it uh, by talking about this uh, Chuck Klosterman article that came out in The New York Times today, um, which is sort it of a yeah. day or two ago, oh, yeah, a few days yeah. ago. That's, that's yeah. kind of related. Um, it, I would say it's it's. It's approaching a topic and another topic we talked about, which is, is rock dead? And it's called which rock star will historians of the future? Remember, uh, Paul, you just read it Uh and I think that means you just got angry about it. So why don't you, uh, tell, tell,
0: yeah, I think, I think Chuck Klosterman is our culture's smartest slate pitcher is, um, (laughs) basically how I would describe him. Um like he's he's a clever guy uh and he usually has some interesting arguments in there and he's a good writer but um he can't help framing things in a way that's just designed to annoy you. Um so I shouldn't give him the satisfaction. But so the just starting out with the structure of his argument which is uh, he starts out by saying, by pointing out that with marching music, uh, the only composer that anybody knows anymore is John Philip Sousa, um, which is true, uh, but this is such, just and then he, use, he goes from there to say, well, look, since we only remember one artist from uh, marching band music, which used to be much more popular and is still around... Uh, will only re- three hundred years from now, people will only remember one rock act. First of all, I think this this uh, logic is just dumb. Yes, and uh, <laughs> the, premise is, the premise
1: is flawed in many ways.
0: Yeah. First of all, I- if he had picked any other past genre of music, he wouldn't be able to make this argument. Right. He totally cherry-picked marching band music, right.
1: which is if like you- a, t- a tiny subset, I think, of like orchestrated <laughs> music. Uh,
0: yeah. Or even if you say it's its own thing, I doubt that it was, while it was certainly more popular at one time, it's always been more of a functional music, more like church music than it is like rock music or jazz music, the real popular forms that have dominated people's lives. Um, And, but if you, so if you use jazz as your example, which is a much closer analog to rock and roll, you couldn't at all make the argument that there's only one singular jazz artist that anybody knows about uh you couldn't narrow it down past i think miles davis and Louis armstrong duke, um, duke ellington duke ellington jazz singers uh, like uh, yeah uh, i was just gonna say um what's her name <laughs> <laughs> oh there's sarah vaughn and there's billy Holiday. billy Holiday is yeah. the one that i was trying to come up with yeah um and then you know even beyond that most people have probably heard of john coltrane um yep. and Miles or, or Dizzy Gillespie and uh, Thelonious Monk like it's right. it's just a dumb argument and if it you... <laughs> won't be hard to
1: find these people at all. It's going to get easier and easier. Yeah, I mean it's already, a, I mean just mind blowing. Like a five year old can find them. Yeah. I think.
0: And I think any reasonably culturally aware adult could name at least a handful of the people we just mentioned. Right. We don't even know jazz that well, the two of us. (laughs) Right. And Um, I think,
1: I think you could think if you wanted to say, okay, maybe one punk rock band, like maybe, uh, you know, or maybe one grunge band, it's Nirvana probably already like comes to represent mm -hmm. grunge to people. That's all right. That's fine. But that's because those like marching music. I mean, it's, it probably have limited to importance to people who did not live through
0: yeah and again though that's like pointing out that like miles davis represents one particular type of jazz and duke ellington represents another but both these types of jazz have endured right um i think even if you want to say that as more time passes some of that will fade you still in something like classical music um everybody knows at least mozart beethoven and bach um like almost literally everybody knows those three names. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there are plenty of others. Like I, you know, we could name dozens, um, again, without being huge classical music heads, we could name dozens of composers. Oh yeah. Um, we, we chose uh, not to right now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trust us. Um, so it's a dumb argument to begin with. Yeah. It does. It does lead to some fruitful discussion of, uh, what will be the enduring ways people think about rock yeah, in the that's, future? that's
1: a more interesting part. I like this little passage that near the beginning where he said, uh, the symbolic value of rock is conflict-based. It emerged as a byproduct of the post-World War II invention of the teenager, soundtracking mm-hmm. a 25-year period when the gap between generations was utterly real and uncommonly vast. And while, well, you know, I think that's a really... Um, uh. Smart and perceptive take on why rock uh, became so immediately
0: popular in that Absolutely. period of time, and I would even argue that a lot of it probably had to do with the uh, the fact that this was the first time in history when young people had money and leisure time. Yes, which I guess is maybe what he's saying—the invention of right. the teenager. Right, but um, there interesting economic forces at right. work too.
1: Very. There's. I've read. I read some some stuff on know the invention like adolescence as a separate phase and it's it's fascinating just to think how recently that simply didn't exist you were just a yeah. child and then you went to work yep um, and so much of our music now comes out of the fact that there's this huge ever-growing phase between yeah. childhood and quote-unquote full adulthood
0: yeah, the really weird thing is how you're sequestered away with other children your exact age your whole childhood, um, which was never the case before. You mostly hung out with your siblings, who of course had a spectrum of age. Right, and if not them, with adults. So anyway, not to get sidetracked. Um, yeah. So you were? Did you have more thoughts on that? Uh, that take on what rock well, came no. from?
1: I guess that then it 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 does. The, what you were saying that question of what is rocks kind of essential element, like what will it be remembered for? Um, I think he, he contrasts, uh, Elvis and Dylan, um, mm-hmm. Elvis more of the showman, um, and, uh, Dylan more of the, uh, artistic rebel where, uh, fidelity or, or I say, you know, musical, formal musical skill, uh, is uh devalued in the face of uh, emotion
0: and, and 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 uh you know more composition and less uh or or execution yeah 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 absolutely yeah and, and there you know dylan is recognized as being a technical you know in a certain sense of technicality a technical genius of of lyrics right um but yeah
1: but that's different um, than
0: saying he could like you know
1: you know yeah cl- classical gas perfectly. <laughs>
0: um yeah and uh then you know he he of course mentioned the beatles yeah um who
1: i think he dismissed i mean i think that if, his
0: his yeah. reason for dismissing them was because they were a group and not a single person which i think is an asinine reason to dismiss them right? Um, especially because
1: <laughs> i think uh, he argues that the band was essentially invented alongside rock music. Um,
0: yeah, I, people will think of rock as being a band-based phenomenon. So even I, though there have been tons of solo artists, I think of it as a band-based phenomenon.
1: Right, and I think that th- because even a lot of the solo artists, to play the music live, mm-hmm. ha- have to have a band. Exactly. Um, I, I think that if if it's true, like if there really is only one group that represents rock music in the future um, unless rock music undergoes an insane revival and there Mm -hmm. are bands that are just wildly more popular than anything that's existed I mean the only answer is the Beatles like totally it it already is that (laughs) yeah
0: I mean maybe the Rolling Stones and that they were a little bit more sort of elemental and representative of like what was rock about rock Yeah. yeah but still yeah it's the beatles, it's the beatles. <laughs> there's there's no
1: band that they're they're amazing they're amazing hey yeah. that's the most controversial thing <laughs> we've ever said on here the beatles are really good and just so easy to understand uh-huh. um that I yeah can't you just can't sit there and be like I still don't know that many Elvis songs. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. been exposed to plenty of it, but I, I could easily name 60 Beatles songs.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um. I think the other thing is, you know, John Philip Sousa is thought of as one dude without a band because the nature of marching band music is that it's written to be reco- to be played live. And I mean, has anyone ever sat down and listened to a lot of marching band music that's been recorded and been like, "This is my favorite marching band"? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there are a few freaks, (laughs) but not really. (laughs) Good blog entries on that. (laughs) Not really the main way the genre is experienced. Whereas with rock and roll, even from the earliest days, we have uh, video footage even of the bands playing. So there will be a record of the work of those bands, and I think that will mean that they will be remembered to a much larger degree. I mean, we would know probably some of the virtuosos of playing classical music from 200 years ago if there were any evidence of how they did it. They're just, you know, it's lost to history.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, (laughs) it's pretty fascinating once you get into, you know, some of the, um, uh, you know, suppose, you know, the people that were playing, um the Stradivarius violins like at that time you know some of the great people that yeah. in that age when a lot of those composers were alive or um they've lived at different times but you know what I mean um, yeah and, you know we don't we have no way of telling that possibly we're missing out on some of these um yeah. best musicians of all time I'm sure we are and yeah totally no way of of knowing that
0: but people will know about Yo-Yo Ma in a few hundred years right. because we've got him recorded, right? Um, um, and and then and the ultimate conclusion of the article, which is that somehow Chuck Berry
1: is the <laughs> person that's going to represent rock music, <laughs> is ludicrous. I uh, this
0: like I said, the Slate pitch. Yeah, <laughs> I can never <laughs> remember.
1: I don't. I'm sure. I know. I'm stupid for uh, this, but I I have no idea what any Chuck Berry songs are. I know he uh, is.
0: Johnny Be Good uh, is I, his one song that anybody Johnny, knows. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um i think i think one thing he misses i mean he he's talks about it as uh how will sort of the general vague cultural understanding of what rock music was exist which is one way that rock will continue to exist in the psyche of the future um i think and It's not necessarily a mistake on his part that he missed this out. But there will also be – I think rock will also survive as something appreciated by uh, people who just really appreciate aesthetic artistic experiences in a deeper way. It won't just be like – yeah, there will be, I think, still a sizable following of enthusiasts for quite a while.
1: One thing that I I think we did not in our first episode we talked about is rock dead – that we did yeah. not mention, um, that that differenti- differentiates rock from like marching band music or jazz <laughs> is that rock is really, really fucking easy to play. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you and I could could just buy pawn shop guitars and spend like a few hours and figure out how to play three chords and play a rock song. I Pretty mean, much, and that will could that gives it an ability to survive, and that will give, you know the youth the rebellious youth or the pretentious youth um a very easy easy angle to continue it in the way that it gets harder and harder to uh you know for them to play jazz music uh, yeah because none of them are gonna spend (laughs) uh you know a um god why can't i what's the name of the movie the 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 one oh, jk7s oh.
0: yeah yeah but again that's like, to no become a virtuoso a G-
1: amount of time learning
0: yeah <laughs> play, so. i mean but you could learn some jazz standards from yeah. that aren't like you know free jazz well i gotta uh, right oh, i got away from my
1: point which is that you can form a punk band in literally one afternoon <laughs> totally uh, um
0: that. yeah all right yeah okay chuck klosterman we've we've yeah. we've buried him
1: um, uh, let's pause here because I have to piss really badly. So I'll okay. be back in, in one.
0: Give me some love, give me some love, give me some love, give love, give me some love, give
1: to some uh green album weezer uh that was simple pages from uh uh from from that very album
0: uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the self-titled weezer album yes the
1: second of many self-titled weezer albums
0: of the eventual rainbow's worth of yeah
1: (laughs) i think there are four now Uh, was
0: the red one self-titled yes all right
1: yes um so uh this month is the 15th anniversary of good god weezer's green album i know we are old um uh yep yep <laughs> let it hit you let it hit you um we got a joint experience with the green album but i, I think i gotta say uh, since it's the 15th anniversary it's po- it's important to go back and think about what weezer was at that point mm-hmm. um they had in 1994 uh which I want to think about how much 22 years ago uh the their first album the blue album came blue album came out and I think okay I'm gonna say something about this uh mm-hmm. that I think it's the most perfect union of pop and alternative rock uh yeah i would say that and if we if we consider alternative rock to be you know the genre that the pixies basically invented if we're talking about alternative rock as that then the blue album remains like the gold standard of fusing that with the mainstream pop music and it's something that bands uh good and shitty today that play quote unquote alternative rock still have to think about. Um I'm sure yeah. I'm sure the guys from like Twenty One Pilots like the blue album. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and then and then after that Weezer immediately went and released a uh, crazy, weird, amazing emo masterpiece.
0: Yeah. Um, it's basically the same thing, except uh, w- when you recorded at the nadir of a really bad crush and with the distortion Cranked up about twenty percent. On every
1: instrument, including the drums.
0: The drums are like
1: overdriven and distorted and
0: Yeah. Well Dave Fridman produced it, didn't he? Yeah, it was sort of sort of and it was
1: sort of self produced by Weezer
0: too. Yeah. Like I think But that's Dave Fridman's thing. Like he did that with the flaming lips after that. Right. It's totally signature.
1: Um so I mean, but it's hard to believe now um that people thought Pinkerton sucked. I mean, it's kind of famously Rolling Stone's second worst album of the year, only behind Hootie and the Blowfish.
0: That is weird. Like, what did they not like about it? It was because it
1: wasn't like the Blue album. They were like, why did they release this quote unquote weird album? It's not weird at all.
0: I could Um, see the radio not liking it for that reason, but I would expect a rock critic to understand that it was good.
1: is a strange song to go to post Buddy Holly and say it ain't so. Um, now they seem so close, yeah, that it's ridiculous, and I mean I got I actually was literally bullied for liking Weezer <laughs> Pinkerton came out I mean,
0: wait wait who who bullied you I don't name, wanna, uh, no, name them <laughs> no let their name die um would I know this person
1: yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> but uh that's um, funny. And, uh, and then Weezer went into Hiding mm-hmm. and, uh, and somehow During those four years um, Lots of people realized How much they liked both albums And when they came back in 2000 uh, It was just uh, Everyone was so happy And it was like It was just this once in a I don't know Once in 10,000 thing Where a band that seemed like completely dead after their first album was great and their second album was you know nobody liked it they just came back and were just playing these giant rock shows and Mm -hmm. people really cared so that it's funny yeah
0: it's funny that the five-year gap between those albums at the time seemed interminable um oh
1: yeah it was unreal to wait that long
0: yeah now i mean uh two and a half years is like the minimum normal gap between right. mainstream album releases. Right. Well, I guess in rock, in hip hop, you can release a mixtape every four months. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so this brings us to the point. Yeah.
1: And uh, when in 2001, you and I are lining up at midnight.
0: Yeah. We were back home in, from our first year in college. It was summer. We we're in Orlando. Yes.
1: Yes at park avenue records which at that point was still on park avenues park park that which at that point was still on park avenue
0: oh yeah i guess uh that would be way too pricey real estate for uh, a record store nowadays yes
1: um
0: and uh we
1: bought our copy and- we,
0: we hung out in line for several hours with a crowd that i would think was probably like 80 percent tool fans because the tool album was also coming out that night yep and uh then we
1: uh uh i feel like we it was one of those things where we were kind of mad because we went in the store to buy it and they were playing it and i think you and uh, i were both pissed at that because <laughs> i definitely made it an issue like a thing to not listen to it
0: yeah um i'm certain i definitely made that i listened to hash pipe before right. uh, the album came out um but um,
1: I think we may have IM'd each other about how good Hashpipe was.
0: We we were, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so then we took it and we drove back to your house in Lake Mary, which is a good four hours from Winter Park. Um, not really. That's a joke, people. Or Lando um, humor. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we told this story before, but you popped it in your CD player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which immediately told us the length of the album, and it popped up like you know twenty eight minutes and thirty five seconds or whatever it is, and you exclaimed on the spot like twenty eight minutes. The Smashing Pumpkins release singles longer than this, which is true. Um, and um, but then we listened to it. Yes. With your parents did. sleeping across the house, we
1: rocked out to it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't know how has your opinion of the album gone over the years, Joe?
1: Well. I've come to regard this album as because it's so short, and because of the way the songs are structured, are ridiculously simple. Like I believe the guitar solo um, mirrors the vocal melody in in every in nine of the ten songs. I believe so. Yes. Um, that. And, it,
0: and it's funny right away that nine of the ten songs have a guitar solo that mirrors the mm-hmm. <laughs> vocal melody exactly
1: right. and um I think that it and because of its short length um I see it as more uh, of as a, a single piece of music um. I don't know if concerto is the right word, but it's like <laughs> just a few ideas and they're connected in different movements. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say that one song, simple pages is probably the only song on it that I'd say is elevates above like pretty good. It's like mm-hmm. really good for me. Um, I, I have fond feelings for many of the others, but um, and uh, it, it, it hasn't changed much my opinion of it is basically the same as it was then that there's nothing wrong with listening to it.
0: Yeah. I think I've gone from, you know, maybe for a little bit, trying to convince myself that it was really good to not listening to it very much to like when I listened to it and prep for this podcast, I found, I don't know, it sort of felt like replacement level pop rock to me. Um, It's funny because You know, it's like comparing human and chimpanzee DNA and 98% of it is the same. Um, Like comparing this to the Blue Album, like sonically, it's really very difficult to notice what's different between them. But there's just some spark of genius that makes the Blue Album essential. And this, um, if I didn't, if it wasn't by Weezer and it wasn't their first album after Pinkerton and the Blue Album, I probably would never really think about it that much. Right. You know? Right. Um, it's just like, you know, it's not bad. None of the songs annoy me. Right. Um, and several of them have moments that do jump out and grab me. But for large parts of it, it's just like, it's just whoosh yeah. background music.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, it, you can't, it, there's no, there's no way to listen to it in a different way because it's purposefully, um, uh, the word's not antiseptic. That's uh, so not the word. Uh, well, the, sort of what's there there's about it anyway, you know, but um,
0: he very intentionally s- yeah. scaled back, he was trying to scale back on emotion. He was clearly trying to restrict himself to a very specific form formal style, you right. know, like we said, they're, they're all verse-chorus-verse with a guitar solo that matches the verse-vocal line. Well,
1: a big, a, uh, yeah, a big deal back then was that he, like, literally, they weren't playing the songs for Pinkerton Live, and this was, like, the anti-Pinkerton because people hated yeah. it so much.
0: And it's just, it's weird that that he would... I, it, it speaks to how, what a weird guy he is, despite the fact that he's spent the last 15 years trying to just sort of make basic radio-friendly pop rock right um that he could get into his head that much that he would just you know it's such a a, it's an almost monkishly purposefully self-denying record you know like i'm not going to do anything but i'm not going to go out of this one lane in any way it's just going to be trying to rock in this very specific tight way
1: (laughs) yes yes and uh And just almost too successful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think it is too successful at that. And the lyrics just end up being sort of this like sort of boilerplate uh, pop lyrics type thing. Yeah. Um, Um,
1: And full disclosure, I saw Weezer three times on this tour and four times uh, on (laughs) the tour when I followed them on tour up the East Coast for their next album, Maladroit. Um, Yes. uh, So, which we also waited in line for. Uh, at Park Avenue records. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the reason that this album, and if if you, if you're ready for me to move on yes. a little, um, the reason that this album <laughs> works with our overall idea of how a band's legacy or bad albums affect their good ones is that this album inaugurated A now 15 year decline in the quality of Weezer songs and albums. Um, They went from this to um, kind of amusing, uh, like quality novelty on Maladroit, um, novelty rock to just um, absolute trash. (laughs) <laughs> uh, stupid novelty rock on make believe, and it's really there's just been nothing since. Um, yeah, just all yeah. plotting,
0: uh, plotting along. Occasionally, yeah. I'll hear something and be like, "Oh, there's a little bit going on there." Like the the lead single off the White album has clever lyrics that made me laugh. Um, but right. then I listened to the whole album, and it was more forgettable pop music.
1: Well, the point that I guess I would say it's not none of it is artistically accomplished.
0: Yeah. In, no, I agree. Totally. Yeah. Um, but he's still out there. <laughs> it's true. I mean, well. rivers.
1: Yeah. We won't get into the rivers Cuomo. Yeah. Uh,
0: so I had a way to, to phrase this question, Okay. but you said you had a weird Avenue too. So no, no. I want to you go? to start. Oh. oh, you go. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So we're trying to figure out, you know, how this 15 year period of music that now in volume vastly outweighs the part we really loved of Weezer. Um, you know how does that affect the way we feel about what was at one time both of our favorite bands right um, so here's my question if let's say they had never come back from the hiatus post pinkerton and there was, that was just it which is true of many bands that people love they'll have like two great records and then die early right um S- sometimes literally die yeah so what would you be think what would you think if somebody brought up weezer what would you say about them about their legacy, about their career?
1: Well, if you're asking, I think for me, Weezer's a particularly difficult one for that because so much of my positive like there's two halves to my positive um, my love of Weezer half of it is loving this band in high school that released two of my favorite albums, and then the other half is like. This band that I got to go to a lot of really, you know, really actually great shows. Um, you know, le- a little later in their career when the albums weren't as good, but they were playing the songs from the amazing yeah. albums. Yeah, so S-
0: so those are out in this scenario. So wait, so what do you mean? Those shows are out in the scenario. Right.
1: Yes, so that makes it more difficult because, like, I would have oh. I would so that probably means that I would think less of them because I didn't have that because exp- I was denied some of my but best not just, experiences of the
0: band, not just are how much would you like them, but like how would you how would you think about them? Like if what would it what would be more like the hmm. the flavor of the feeling? Uh, would you be right? So well, I would still my, I would still rate the Blue Album and
1: Pickerton as some of the best albums of the nineties and i mm-hmm. would say all the complimentary things about them i said before and i'd probably still listen to uh songs from them a lot Although it's, it's hard for me to listen to them because i've listened to them so many times at this point totally totally um, um but I, I would still defend them as one of the best bands of the 90s and the flavor of it would be
0: that's what we're getting to hmm i, I well so th- yeah I think one of your reaction would be what I think mine would be, which is they would be one of these things where you constantly, whenever they came up, you would immediately think that it was just such a tragic loss. Like this was an awesome band yeah. that gave us two great albums. And then we got nothing else. And just think of what they could have done if they had stuck together. Right. Um, I mean, they would yeah. be
1: at, at this, they, you know, actually it'd be interesting. Um, uh, it, it would be, probably feel the way that i feel about neutral milk hotel yes where i am just i love them so much and i'm so sad that we don't have that like third album because Mm -hmm. i know it would be good Um, yeah (laughs) even though there's a lot of evidence from other bands like (laughs) weezer that might not be that good um i think that uh and we can get into this a little more in a bit but I think that there is that kind of gets that gets into a way of that sometimes we only know the total amount of talent and artistic ability a band has um, by measuring you know the full length of their career including their decline
0: yeah Um, to me, I was thinking the 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 elaboration of this point is that, in a way, it's kind of a blessing that we have these. Um, so so the obvious take, the first order take you would think is well, if a band that you loved releases a lot of music later on that's bad, um, that's not good. That diminishes them because there's you have to assi- even if you don't listen to it, that thought will always be there when you think of them as oh yeah, then they release a bunch of crap. Right. Um, but I was thinking, you know, yes, that exists, but I actually find it not too hard to ignore that. So for instance, like the Smashing Pumpkins in their reformed years have released a lot of not particularly good music. Right. And I don't even know the names of those albums. Right. <laughs> like, Lucky just, you. I just have ignored it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been pretty easy for me to do because uh, so much fucking good music comes out um if they if they were doing this in high school when it was hard to discover new music it would probably be a lot worse yeah. but um uh in a way it's actually kind of nice that weezer has uh released all these lame albums rather than just disappearing obviously the best case would be if they just continue to release great albums mm. like radiohead um because now we don't have to wonder, like, oh, what could have been. That's true. <laughs> um, we, I mean, maybe there's sort of a romance in that sort of tragedy of, uh, you know, geniuses dying young. Yeah. Um, even if not literally, only artistically. Right. Um, but um, you know, there's no, there's no great lost Weezer album that we could have had. It turns out they, they didn't have it in them.
1: <laughs> right. And there's no and there's still there doesn't seem to be a real penalty in the end for them continuing to release these albums um, mm-hmm. in terms of their artistic reputation in the long maybe, but I do think I on the other hand, mm-hmm. let me contradict myself. I mean, I do think now that it's it's difficult to write about the genius. Of Pinkerton, ah. without considering what's come next, you can. I mean, you can still yeah. give it a ten point oh, um, <laughs> uh, and 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 stop. I mean, you know, maybe maybe you just stop there. I mean, maybe you just you yeah. you have to willfully ignore what came next. But then I think, but if think if you want to write anything that's beyond an album review and you want to talk about it culturally and it's like impact on, you know, it's, it's impact on future art and artists. Then you almost have to discuss like, you know, maladroit and Hurley and the white Mm -hmm. album you know, not in detail, but like you have to acknowledge that they they came along after this, and that this you have to you know, at
0: least wave them away and be right. like, despite the fact that their later work did not hold right. up. Right, you have to long. say that
1: Pinkerton is like you know a, a and the Blue Alomar, um, just a a period of genius in someone's life who, uh, you know, turned out to just be a very talented pop songwriter for the rest of it and a really weird dude but
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely yeah i think it makes more of a difference if you're talking about the genius of rivers than if you're talking about the genius of pinkerton like even if you're trying to talk about that time rivers was so great you're going to be thinking about uh how he was later just sort of like just lost the spark
1: right and you do get (laughs) back to this idea of like bands then where you know these two albums were created by um you know four guys who at that point were all in their twenties and, you -hmm. know, talented and angstful and really cohesive unit. Um, they're the only one out Weezer albums that feature Matt Sharp, who I think is a really, um, uh, strange, but interesting artist. I mean, he's the leader of the, the rentals who are like, I think that the, some of that album, that band's best work show how, um, Talented he was, and I think he contributed a lot to the, um, uh, the the weirdness that worked on the first two albums. Uh, he may have. It, I well, mean, his, his... his falsetto singing and mm-hmm. kind of wild bass playing. Um, Absolutely, especially on
0: Pinkerton. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was sort of my thoughts. I thought it might also be interesting to think about how the lesser earlier work of some bands impacts them, their right. legacy, but, um, but I, there aren't th- as many yeah. great examples of well, that. You could
1: forgive, you could forgive bands more because oftentimes you could see what's coming, yeah. uh, in that work. And it, there's just, to me, it, it just, yeah. it, that becomes more of a fascinating prelude. Yeah. than like an embarrassing, uh, uh, overreach
0: <laughs> especially because the the typical the typical path is that yeah when you're when your juvenilia is less good it's because it's too weird and creative or right um maybe just too much or, or in the other case maybe a little bit too much of an imitation of other interesting things going on and then later on you're just sort of exactly. repeating yourself and there's not really much interesting about that
1: well let me let me ask you a random little oh, just just aside here um have you when you've gone back and listened Mm. to artists like from before our time um have you encountered any difficulties or like has it been weird because they have like this full catalog already exists i mean uh you know
0: yeah uh, to some extent but um what's nice there is that um the critical apparatus is really helpful yes um (laughs) the I mean part of it is just that those bands that one goes back to listen to are those bands that critics have talked up a lot so there's good material to work with yeah um this is one of the good points from the Chuck Klosterman article to go back to that which he just took from another author with attribution uh that (laughs) um that for after the immediate moment of music in any art really it's what the critics like that really lasts um as opposed to what was popular and he gives examples of artists that uh sold as much as Elvis and are now I had never heard of them and nor has anybody else um you know in the day um so you know when one does go back and listen to Pink Floyd or um Led Zeppelin or whoever like you can very easily find guides to uh which albums are worth checking out and which ones are you know the lame early and late stuff or the mid-career missteps and stuff like that for one thing you can just go to robert Christgau's site and he's reviewed every single album right but he would ever care to listen yeah. to yeah
1: pink pink floyd was <laughs> pink floyd is a big one for me where i like was going back and listening to it when i was um you know teenage boy as so many of us do and uh you know it was not hard to figure out what Pink Floyd albums were their best ones and even it was I even think that back then I understood like like the final cut which is more like Roger Waters very strange solo project well not very strange Mm -hmm. but very pretentious solo project I was like all right this is pretentious but there's interesting stuff here and I can like I could still really love dark side of the moon and, you know, mm-hmm. consider this and his later actually weird solo albums. Um, and I don't think that's really changed much about what I think about pink Floyd. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so it's good. Yeah, to, I think
0: for, for people who aren't living through it, it'll be very easy to toss aside the, the not as right. good stuff on either end. I have this no. paranoia that people, someone will be like, I wonder if the Smashy Puppies are good. And then they put on Zeitgeist and they're like, oh, fuck this band. <laughs> I'm
1: like, no. I well, that might so actually grave. happen.
0: <laughs> that might actually happen in the Spotify era. Um, Spotify should start ordering albums not chronologically, but by. If nothing else, sales, oh. but maybe uh, all music grading or something like that. Because if you're a kid and you're like, "What are the Smashing Pumpkins like?" Yes, you're gonna have to scroll way down to get to the good stuff.
1: <laughs> this is this is this is like the good thing that we should we should argue for. Yes. Um, okay, so I have <laughs> I have a theory uh-huh. about the arc of a band's career um, that my thinking on this led me to. Um, and I, I named it Gallagher's grand rule of bands, um, which is that a band has a set amount of artistic ability and thus will necessarily use that ability up. And Mm -hmm. I I wrote it out. I created a, (laughs) I created what I'll call Gallagher's golden formula (laughs) to represent it
0: (laughs) And the the form- these these acronyms need to work better for like sex jokes they do it's my one they my do. one they feedback need to be so far. rock and roll um the formula
1: is a squared minus <laughs> open parentheses <laughs> t plus s close parentheses equals r <laughs> okay so, okay so here's how it works the, the the main thing a that's the amount of artistic ability that a band has Right. Okay. And I'm saying that's and it's a set amount. Um, okay. And you just so,
0: you're just born with it, you're collectively bring it together, but they are. So what uses it up? Does time use it up or does output use right. it up or, or what? So here's what it is. And I will say okay. that you
1: can't one of the things is you can't really know a until uh-huh. the career begins and we have uh-huh. uh, some work to consider. Um, so we, we square a, and then, mm-hmm. then we subtract from it T, which stands for time. And we measure time in albums, or I guess okay. maybe rough number of albums. So if a band has released three albums, T would equal three. And then at, we add to T S, which is we're basically increasing T if they had a critically successful album. So if wow. the album is very good um, and, and it. Considered an it's ex- it uses an extra measure of the band's fixed talent, and uh-huh. I, I think it's the S could be subjective, but I most of the time we could agree whether an album is a critical success or not. Um, mm-hmm. So, once you get that, once you get a squared and you subtract T and S from it, um, uh, you get R, which I, f- I forget why I use the acronym, <laughs> I forget why I picked R. <laughs> The rock number you get the rock number no um which i uh, which is i if it's positive um uh-huh. uh it, the album has um the band uh, you mean yeah so you're right no no so here's the thing we do this we run this calculation for each album uh. that the band is putting out so I see I So see. when we run it, we're, we're able to figure out the probability that the next album is going to be, um, artistically successful. Ah, okay. Um, so like if, if the R score is four, then we'll say, I, I didn't get the, I don't, I don't know if that's the the is <laughs> but let's say you have like a 40% better than even chance to create a great album. Like you're yeah. like four whatever's better. <laughs> Yeah. I see a little side because like eventually like the score would be so high or so low that like you you can't approach you approach a hundred percent or zero percent without ever hitting it like zero percent chance of creating a good album um, yeah. okay so let's look at some examples so like I, I think that like so like if 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 a equals zero your band sucks it will probably always suck the chances will always be below 50 yeah. percent that you put out a good album um so like i think a lot
0: of the bands <laughs> below 50 percent. the average album has like a three percent chance of being considered good by me but. right well there you go
1: that's a good that's an see that's an interesting adjustment we have to add the paul paul's constant to the formula um <laughs> uh paul's pretentious constant um, yeah um <laughs> Uh, so so I would say that so most bands um, they're at an artistic level of two. I think the vast majority of bands that reach mainstream critical attention are at uh-huh. two so that means we square it to four and so uh-huh. that means as soon as they release so that their first album, they have an R score of four. so they have like a four percent what the forty percent chance better, right? So but by the time they get to two albums and one of them is critically successful, let's say, then we' end up g- going like four minus three yeah. um, and then they have like a one. So then they have they have a much lower chance that that third album is still gonna be good. And yeah. even if it is good, I say, a lot of bands, the chance then is that they're not their fourth album because then they have like they're gonna end up like, you know, their T is gonna be two or their T is gonna be three, the S is gonna be two, they're like mm-hmm. gonna be uh at negative one. So that's kind of like the the, the point I'm getting with this ridiculousness is <laughs> that um Uh, the band must be far above the average. So like if you're saying like Radiohead is like a five on the Uh A and then so they that's squared to like 25. So that's why they still have like a good chance of releasing a good album. So it's like most bands are going to use up their artistic potential um, over the course of two or three albums yeah and that you aren't going to and that uh, and i think that's like it makes sense because they're just how many artists are there that can reinvent themselves like over and over again or like you know find a new way to connect that's mm-hmm. not like rehashing or that's not like tainted by success um uh since so many of these bands get bad because of course they're just successful and either try to replicate what they did or like are just are just writing about songs about having money (laughs) yeah um (laughs) this (laughs) but this is if you if you i I'll, i'll write this out but if you i could show this to you but it works like if you if, yeah. if S if Smashing Pumpkins are, are a three, if they have an art, artist score of three, then uh-huh. like when Siamese Dream was being released, they have a seven, high chance mm-hmm. it's awesome. Melancholy, five, high chance it's awesome. Adore, two. It could be good. Machina, zero. Even or bad chance. <laughs> and then by the time Zeitgeist comes out, it's negative one. It's more likely to be bad, and it was.
0: Yeah. This is how... <laughs> this is my yeah. formula. So, I think the the really interesting bit of this model is the idea that being uh, is success commercial or critical or both or either. I was trying I was thinking
1: that cr- I was thinking that it's critical. Okay. But it I also I don't
0: know, I was thinking it could also be a commercial success. Like you could say yeah. either one counts. I think it's interesting that you're in this version uh, success depletes artistic ability faster than like being unfairly ignored right you know right (laughs) right um so that's interesting um and i i think there's that's i'd have to think about it more but i think there might be something to that certainly you know there's the phenomenon of uh just believing your own hype. Right. And, and, well, or just having yeah. more money than God, like Jay Z, and not giving a shit anymore. Or, yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> or trying to repeat yourself to continue success uh, is usually a bad thing. So, and success obviously lead, can lead to that. Um, mm-hmm. Or I would say that simply, you know, you have a limited number of
0: good ideas. Uh, yeah. No, that certainly seems to be the case. Yeah. I remember thinking. Uh, in the mid 90s with Billy Corgan, like, I mean, with Melancholy, he in two years put out like uh, 40 good songs, <laughs> right? <laughs> I Everything like, oh, my God, this guy has so many ideas. He's going to be he's going to be around for decades, uh, like Bowie or something. And, um, I actually did think of Bowie as the analog at the time, and that did not turn out to be the case. Right. Right. Um, now he's, now he's spouting right-wing, uh, propaganda with Alex Jones. Um, but, um, uh, so I, I think that's, that's pretty well acknowledged that you, these get, most of these artists just run out of ideas pretty rapidly. Yeah. And I think um, yeah, and I
1: think that what a point is to make is like something like the Rolling Stones, like it doesn't have anything to do with like them being still like an awesome band to like go see live, but the chances now that their next album will be good are so mm-hmm. low. Yeah, um, and just that idea that you're like maybe that I don't know some some bands i like that have released a few bad albums, like maybe this next one will be the one where they turn it around. It's just like yeah. you know, the chances of that are declining.
0: Yeah, um, you know I can think of a few completely weird counterexamples. Uh, well, it's here. Well, one would be, and but these aren't necessarily disproving your formula. They have exceptions that prove the rule. No model accounts for every outlier. Right. Um, but um, uh, I know you don't like them as much as I do, but Swans, I think, is just a really weird, unique, interesting case yep. in that they've been getting critical acclaim since the early 80s. The dude is now in his 60s, and their last three albums are their three favorite albums of mine um so uh they're also very different from their earlier stuff and the only real constant between the bands is uh is michael Jira. um but uh still you know that's like just a really weird case there's nobody who has done that in history yeah um, you know, Paul McCartney is now the most boring musician. Right. Um, and he, I mean, if you look at the Beatles' hot streak in the 60s, it puts what I was just saying about Billy Corton to absolute shame because they were releasing like two amazing <laughs> albums a year. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, um,
1: which is a different discussion. A to- the, yeah. I, sh- I got to note that, but like I often think, I think that music would benefit so much if like, artists today were just like fuck it i will release an
0: album like at least once a year like maybe maybe they did get so good just because they really just hammered on it and you know also because they stopped touring and were like we're just gonna get high in the studio yes, every day yes that's probably also why they started hating each other yep. within a few years well true <laughs> but since that's <laughs> um, gonna happen anyway might true a lot out of it well, but then maybe you know, with Radiohead, we see the opposite, where they're like, "We'll just do our own thing for three years, then we'll sort of get together for a few weeks every once in a while, and eventually we'll have an awesome album." Um, but um, yeah, the only other thing I would say about your formula is um, it could be tweaked to account for the fact that a lot of bands uh, start out with a less good uh album when they're on the rise right that doesn't fully capture their genius and then like the second or third is where they really lay it down it is interesting how that works um
1: uh, not always the case but
0: often yeah um for instance modest mouse like their first album i would never choose to listen to (laughs) and their second album (laughs) is excellent but then their second their third and fourth albums are the really good ones you know right what's their second album uh this is a long drive for some oh right that's second yes right always yeah Yeah. you're right yeah um yeah so you don't even think about sad sappy sucker the first album yeah well i do but it's just not very good (laughs) yeah exactly
1: um man we gotta have our modest mouse podcast someone write this down have your assistant write this down (laughs) chief write this down
0: All right. Did you have anything else on, uh, band legacies? Um, I mean, I think in the end, I come down on the idea that, um, it's okay. I can live with it if bands want to keep making bad music and playing in casinos, but I wish, you know, it would be better if they didn't.
1: I guess the lesson is, you know, go back and listen to the,
0: your favorite albums, even if you hate the new stuff. (laughs) Totally. Give your, give your favorite artists a break. They, uh, they made you who you are in yeah a lot of ways. and
1: they might not they didn't do anything wrong they actually did everything right probably that's that's you know they they used up all their talent making great music for you to listen to
0: so um and now yeah. they're
1: still trying
0: yeah and like Definitely. we said now you don't have to th- worry about whether you missed out on some great great work from uh like you do with jeff mangum <laughs> yes Exactly. Although maybe he'll release something in the future, it could still happen. Ugh, I hope we get it. It's not just our stupid kids. <laughs> well, I mean, he's older than we are, so presumably, <laughs> uh, maybe he'll return to live with the elves in the woods and come back in a century.
1: No, yeah, no, no. I mean, he's gonna like have it, like you know, say, "I'll release my music 50 years after I die" or some oh, stupid I shit
0: like that. Also possible, yeah. actually. Yeah um okay this is good yeah this is yeah. yeah let's sign off um thanks everybody for listening uh we'll see if uh well we'll ha- still have a radio head hook on this one Will the headline will be uh we talk about radio head more and then we'll get <laughs> listens but um um the uh we appreciate everybody listening uh we appreciate um, the new followers who followed for the Radiohead bot and also who followed because our friend Taylor is still nice to people on Facebook, unlike <laughs> us. Um, and uh, we encourage everybody to please subscribe on iTunes, rate us on iTunes. Um, those things help uh, get the podcast out in the uh, cutthroat music podcast industry. And um, also uh, follow us at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter. Check us out at savagebeastpod.com and email us at savagebeastpod at gmail.com, um, where we will, we promise to uh, respond to any feedback we s- receive. We, uh, we love everybody.
1: Okay. Hold the door, Paul. Hold the door. <laughs> <laughs>